Hello everybody and welcome back to Everything All at Once. Sorry it's been a minute. I've had a lot going on. I've taken some spontaneous trips. I'm just living life before tomorrow aka surgery day. Not excited about that so this episode will be about how to find hobbies that stick. Sort of the mentality and psychology behind how to change your mind, how to form a habit and essentially what goes behind the behavioral change in your brain. What mental change has to change first before your behavior can change. And hopefully this will help you find a hobby or a habit that maybe you wanted to try or maybe you've been seeing and you wanted to try to adapt into your life. Hopefully this can help you make it stick and sort of understanding the mental change and shift that has to happen will help you form your hobby, find your hobby, find a habit that you want to stick, a new part of your routine, etc. But before that, a classic, some life updates. I took a trip down to Avalon slash Stone Harbor for the 4th of July. We stayed in Ventnor, but we took a day trip to Avalon and Stone Harbor, me and my good friend Alex, and I just had such a revitalizing trip I don't know what's the word I'm just completely I feel like I've done a 180 in the past week from where I was last week obviously you know things change I'm trying to stay positive trying to stay in this place forever but I'm in a much better mental state than I was before and this just truly attests to the fact that being around your comfort people and people that bring you the right frame of mind can actually do you so much good and when you finally find people to surround yourself with that put you in that correct state hold on to that and once you recognize that keep that and try and surround yourself with that as for as long as you can because I've never felt more myself than I have in this past week and I couldn't do it without her so I know she doesn't listen because podcasts aren't her thing but I had the best time seeing Avalon. Avalon is the shore that I grew up in. We would take summer trips down to Avalon where my grandfather built a house and unfortunately he passed away and then my grandmother is still present but our family and a lot of money, personal issues, etc. Long story short, the house went up for sale and somebody bought it and they knocked it down and I didn't drive by it because it's honestly just too sad for me. I wish I wish I did, but also not really. That part of, you know, my family's just gone now. But Avalon is the shore that I grew up in, and I loved just being there for the day, walking around, seeing how it's changed in the last year because it's always fun to look at what new stores opened up. Maybe it's unfortunate some stores closed down due to the high real estate costs and the cost of leasing a retail space right now is insane. So a lot of businesses are unfortunately going under, which is very sad to see. But regardless, Avalon Stone Harbor was an amazing day. Then I came back. I had some an appointment for, you know, my pre-surgery appointment. I had one of those. And then I had to do some personal training and group training studying. And that has been so rewarding and fulfilling to do. Knowing that I'm taking, even though it seems stupid sometimes, like doing in the online course, I don't know why I trick myself into thinking it's stupid because it's not real school. There's a textbook, there are quizzes I have to take, there are modules I have to do. It's self-paced and I'm trying to get done as much of it today as I can, really. Even though it's sort of hard for me to 
get myself to do it sometimes after I'm done a module I feel so accomplished and I feel better about my day and that I'm taking the right steps toward building myself a better life in the future and opening up so many opportunities for me the goal is obviously you know to become a cycling instructor I don't really care where it is or and also personal train on the side I think it's a great job to have in school and then also when I get outside of school because fitness is always something I've been really passionate about and I just never quite figured out where I fit into it and personal training is an area that I never really saw myself in until this past year taking this online course and learning all about not only the physical you know anatomy the muscles the ligaments the joints how they move the right movements to work those ligaments and joints etc but that's a large part of the group training aspect, you know, the anatomy. And so far early on in the personal training course, because I'm getting both certificates, the group training focuses more on how to approach a client and perform a client-centered approach and build self-efficacy within a client and all about the psychology behind how to change and shift somebody's mind into wanting to adapt a new behavior. And that's what really inspired this podcast because a lot of what the textbook was saying I found was very useful and can be applied into how to change your mind about anything really and how to get yourself to understand not only what your brain is trying to process when you try and shift and change and adapt but also how to persist and achieve the outcome that you would like. I think that's super helpful and that's why I'm sharing it within this episode. Anyways, The course has been very, very fulfilling. I've enjoyed a lot, you know, having my little moments in a cafe and working on it. It's interesting also to learn about the back end of the group classes. For example, I was in SoulCycle the other day and the instructor wasn't really on the bike at all. Somebody else was on the bike and she was just walking around and it was, I went to a different SoulCycle and it was less guided than the SoulCycle I normally have here. There was no... There's choreography toward the beginning, but toward the end and the middle part, she was just sort of like, this one's for you. And then she's like, I would push here. And, you know, this would be a great time to push. And I now going through the personal training and the group training steps and textbook, I understand her training method. So it's given me a really interesting perspective as a student in these classes to try and figure out what these instructors are trying to do what works what's not works and the back end of all these classes that I'm taking because I also joined lifetime for the brief period I was home and able to work out and I've tried a bunch of classes that they've offered and having a deeper understanding of their teaching methods and what they're trying to project onto me and sort of what they're trying to get me to do and sort of build a behavioral shift and sort of build a foundation and adherence to make me want to come back to the class, it's super interesting to understand. So now, not only am I a student, because before I was a student, I understood, you know, the exercises, I understood what I was doing in terms of the movements, but I didn't understand the psychological and more purpose behind each class. And after taking this course and having a deeper understanding, I can now have both perspectives, which is super helpful, and it's made me have a deeper appreciation for 
the fitness world and the fitness industry and the effort that goes into creating these classes, whether they're pre-choreographed, whether they're, you know, something like Orange Theory where it's a lot of muscle building and cardio combined, you know, the intention to work the full upper body, what movements that has to entail, the full lower body, what movements that has to entail to ensure balance and then also create a supportive environment, make sure the customer's coming back, you know, it's all about their enjoyment and building a strong connection and a positive association between physical activity. That has been very, very rewarding. Other than the course, after we got back from the beach, I took a day trip to visit BU and it was honestly, I I captioned it on my Instagram, best 48 hours because I'm really bad at Instagram captions, but I captioned it that because that's truly what it was. I had the best trip of my entire life, maybe. We flew in at 6.30 and I'd planned it all the night before with Alex, flew in at 6.30, got there, got changed in the airport bathroom into sort of a cute walking around fit, got in, checked, or got breakfast at this place that was... (laughs) she was Alex got locks on toast and I've never had locks and she she turned to me and goes she was up pissed because the same or the toast that she got was supposed to be on toast and ended up coming in like a cracker and then the waitress was like oh yeah like the breakfast option you're ordering is super filling to me and it was two eggs and one piece of toast cut in half and I was like what is your idea a filling I don't I don't know that was a super interesting experience and then we walked back to the hotel dropped our stuff off because it wasn't time to check in and then we had a full day exploring Boston I think we didn't leave one part of the city untouched we biked and walked everywhere we went to Cambridge which is where we were staying we walked around there the Boston Public Gardens the Boston Commons we walked to get bikes and then we biked to Boston University walked around there I got to check out a little bit of the campus obviously stopped by Barnes and Noble and got myself some merch no just a sweatshirt that's way too big because they only had larges and everything and then we went to back to the hotel for some downtime because we haven't had downtime all day and then we went to if you're in Boston go to Putt Shack it is it's in Seaport it's a glow-in-the-dark mini golf experience and every hole is themed but it's sort of a bar slash mini golf and the tv tracks everything so you put the ball down it's like francesca go and tracks how many times you hit it so there's no paper and pencil and each hole is themed so one was beer pong themed one was trivia themed so i had to hit the ball into true or false based on boston trivia and we had so much fun then we went to davio's and seaport for dinner spectacular meal 10 out of 10 right on the harbor it is on the pricey side but i think what really made the dinner was the not only the spectacular crab cakes i had but the couple behind us were they were going on a first date and alex and i would just stop talking in the middle of dinner and look at each other and we both knew we were trying to eavesdrop and then there was a family going on some sort of vacation uh adjacent to us and so we were just listening to both conversations and then classic eavesdropping and people watching. It was so much fun. If you know, you know. The couple behind us was hilarious. They were both going in the medical field and hearing them talking about the great things they were doing makes me excited because of all the amazing opportunities that Boston presents itself with. But it was just a super fun ambiance to be around. And then as we walked around Seaport afterwards, we saw a bunch of beer gardens and this sort of outdoor, you know, beer and food festival 
situation and then we passed out because we were so tired at the hotel because we walked and biked everywhere we did not take one uber except to go to seaport because we were in like a nice outfit and we didn't want to get sweaty or anything then the next morning obviously we went to soul cycle so i we went to soul survivor and the instructor i had followed on not followed but i'd seen her on instagram so i was excited to take her class and when i got there it was sort of coldplay themed now i love a good coldplay moment viva la viva whatever it's called you know i love it do i love it for 60 minutes straight while i'm trying to sprint on a bike maybe not i was looking for a little more you know edm or just like some pump up music regardless i think the instructor was good she wasn't on the bike which was interesting i mentioned that before she wasn't on the bike somebody else was on the bike maybe it was an instructor in training and not really sure about that situation regardless i wish there was just a little bit more guidance choreography etc you can tell i guess it was a very local studio because when an instructor feels comfortable enough not to provide the structure of the pre-choreographed class of soul cycle because it is a chain whether they want to say it or not like soul cycle is a chain so the company developed a structure of the class that's supposed to be consistent between each studio so that the consistent customer walks in and knows what they're going into and it gives the clients and the participants a sense of security when they go into the class and know what they're expecting this girl just threw out the classic structure right out the window and we did like one song and then we did arms and then we did like three more songs and we did a little bit of arms again then we did like three songs and arms a little bit again and then we just had the end and if never taken a soul cycle class there's one song the second song before the class ends where the instructor sort of gives you that time to ride freely on the bike find the beat not really give you any structured choreography but just more of a do-it-yourself situation she did this basically the entire class while i love a good you know reflection do it by yourself moment at the end for one song the entire class i just wish there was a little more structure i can get into a whole episode about that um soul cycle and the class and the structure and the environment but that's a tangent we're not going to go on today. <laughs> so after that, I had found out that our flight was canceled due to severe weather. That was interesting. Then we booked a train for that night. It was a five-hour train from Boston back to Philadelphia. We'll get into that in a little bit. And then we went to this sort of outdoor flea market, Sowa. They have it every day. I'm not really sure what area it was in, but we walked from our hotel in cambridge to this market which was around two miles which doesn't seem like a lot but walking it took us a good amount of time and we walked through beacon street again because we walked through beacon street yesterday or not yesterday the day before and then we got to walk through it again and stop in anywhere we didn't stop in before we went to beacon hill books the other day and that was 10 out of 10 if you're in boston go to beacon hill books you would love that bookstore everybody would love that that everybody who love that bookstore it is a book lovers fantasy in there they have a cafe at the bottom where you can make a reservation and eat and then you have this amazing three-story bookstore waiting for you upstairs it's spectacular i i'm gonna go again and then after we walked to the outdoor market we went to we ended up just going on newberry street because we didn't have that much time before we had to catch our train so we went on there and on Sundays they closed it down, I guess. I don't know if they just do that in the summertime, but it was all closed down and all of the stores had little stands outside of the store. 
and then you just walk down the street and then you can go in the store they had an aloe which i didn't know they had they had Faraday, if anyone knows that is all the classic stores lululemon glossier brandy etc it was a lot of fun just to walk around and we dressed up cute for the day and we went to tots tates tots i don't know we just seen a bunch of them and we thought we had to try it out it's a middle eastern brunch cafe spot it was amazing we got these strawberry turnovers and alex got what's called a london fog and i got like their honey cardamom signature latte so good we split a strawberry turnover and i had poached eggs with some strained garlic greek yogurt dip with spinach and bread and it sounds weird saying it out loud but it was so good and Alex had scrambled eggs, prosciutto, and toast, and that was amazing too. Then afterwards, we were, we got ready. We checked out the hotel already. We just grabbed our bags, got changed, then went to the train station, and we'd gotten sweet green on to go. And then we were looking for an outlet because, you know, navigating around Boston, both of our phones were dying because we were using Google Maps for everything and also to rent the blue bikes, etc. So we were trying to find a phone charger all around this damn station uh couldn't find one then i turn to alex i say oh they probably have one in the cvs so we go in the cvs we're down an aisle kind of smack dab in the middle of the cvs we found an outlet we put our bag down i have a rolly bag in a backpack and she has a rolly bag so we put the bag down we plug in our phones and now we're just sitting there and it's around dinner time and we're both looking at each other and we're kind of starving so we start eating our sweet green in the middle of the cvs aisles we look deranged we look tired the worker saw that we were going through it and we're like, he said, you guys aren't allowed to technically eat in here, but you can for now. Just don't make a mess. I was like, thank you so much. That was so sweet of you. I was expecting him to scream at us and tell us to get out, but he let us stay. And then we luckily caught our train and got good seats at the cafe cart. So there were like two parts of the cafe, one with like the actual stand and then the one with just cafe seats. So we got a booth to sit in for the whole five hours, which was so nice. And then we tried to watch what happens in Vegas and the Wi-Fi was ass. But the five hour train ride, you know, it was filled with <laughs> filled with some good memories, good memories, laughter. And, you know, going into surgery tomorrow, I feel like I'm in a very, very good mental state. I feel way happier than I was a week ago very confident in you know the summer myself the choices i've made i'm feeling a lot stronger i'm feeling a lot better and those trips were just exactly what i needed and i feel revitalized i feel 10 out of 10 i haven't felt like myself in a very long time and right now i do i'm just going to savor it going into tomorrow did i freak out yesterday while they were taking my blood work yes you know when you're getting a major surgery like this, I was just sort of talking about it as something I was going to get. I was like, oh yeah, I'm getting surgery in a week. Oh yeah, I'm getting surgery over the summer. It's just like a word. I'm not thinking about it. Maybe that's denial. I don't know. I was just thinking to myself, oh, you know, it's just something that's going to happen in the near future. Now it's tomorrow and I can't beat around the bush anymore. I can't ignore that it's happening it didn't hit me until i was in the chair and they were taking you know your pre-surgery blood work i was thinking to myself oh my god they're going to cut my back open and fix my spine and i've never been under anesthesia i've never had anything like this done before so i'm pretty nervous but i have some books to keep me distracted i just finished conversations with friends 
I didn't like it. I'm going to do a whole podcast at the end of the summer reviewing all the books that I read. So I'll get into that more when I do that. But a conversation with friends. It was a good read. Would I recommend it necessarily? I don't know. The ending was really frustrating and I didn't. The characters were a lot similar to normal people, but not in the way that I liked it. But right now, I just started and I'm halfway done actually book lovers because I'd read Emily Henry a lot last summer and I read her new book, Happy Place, which is, I really, I really connected to that book. I really liked Happy Place. Book lovers is not, not as deep as Happy Place, I wouldn't say, but it's just a classic rom-com beach read. It's just something fun to keep my mind off what's happening you know keep me distracted and then I also have my brilliant friend to read next I'm very excited about that one as well so that those are some you know some life updates last solo cycle class yesterday last run this morning I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to make these last like few workouts amazing and then when my legs were so sore because I was pushing myself so hard like my whole body is sore Basically, I'd walk for 48 hours straight, biked for 48 hours straight while we were in Boston, and then working out on top of that, and then just working out all the weeks prior. My body is pretty dead. I'm feeling pretty beaten down, ready for a rest. I'm going to get a good stretch in today. I did a little bit, but not enough. I'm going to get a good stretch in before I go in tomorrow, feel super confident in I pushed myself, and it's not the last time I'm working out ever. I don't know, my mind like, this is the end. It's not the end. Um, I'll be back in six weeks, so everything can chill. And yeah, those are that's the that's what's going on. That is what's crack a lacking. So now I guess we can get into what what have what hobbies? What habits? What habits, what hobbies, how can you make them stick? What's the mentality shift behind them? Get into today's topic. So, in the past, some hobbies that I've tried that have definitely not worked out for the best would be journaling. I've tried journaling a bunch, you know, words of affirmation every morning. I ended up just writing the same thing over again, so I just stopped doing it. Journaling is helpful once in a while. I tend to bottle up a lot of my feelings and emotions and then journal them all out eventually. That happens sort of once in a while but I feel like I should do it more often reading is a habit I've always come back to reading is sort of my escape my way to just decompress it I hate starting a new book that's a pet peeve of mine which is really annoying I hate trying to get into a new book it takes me at least I don't know 20 pages to get into maybe even longer than that sometimes but if I can't get hooked I it's a struggle to read I'm not gonna lie some of Sally Rooney books were a struggle to read regardless other hobbies that have formed fitness working out always going to be a hobby for me such a mental escape and relief but long story short before I get into this episode I want to preface that if you're going to start a hobby or maybe form a new habit it should be something you want to do because maybe you've tried it before and you liked how it made you feel you liked how it made you I want to say feel again it you like how you liked doing it. it, it should be something you enjoy. It should not be something that you feel that you should be doing because you saw it online. It should not be something that is bringing you discomfort or unenjoyment or 
becoming a burden if you have to say like oh i got a journal again like oh i miss my journal it should not produce guilt when you don't do it and that's a part of forming a habit that i think is sort of unacknowledged and i'm going to get into this later but it should not form guilt if you do not accomplish it that day so there's this theory that i've learned in my training it's called the self-determination theory and there are two types of motivation there's autonomous autonomous yeah that's right <laughs> motivation where people are behaving and doing something at their own free will because they want to do it they in order to accomplish this sort of motivation that it takes to build a hobby or a habit they must have what's called intrinsic motivation or motivation that comes from internal rewards and nothing external like you're not getting anything physically in return it has to come from an internal feeling internal emotion of excitement enjoyment happiness and not an external reward for example when we are trying to get somebody to work out for the first time or approaching a client you want to make sure that they're focused on the feeling and the emotion and the endorphins that are being released and not focus on any external reward that might be a change in their body the same applies to a habit or a hobby reading makes me feel really good inside I'm not doing it for any external motivation or external reward where am I checking books off my reading list? Yeah, maybe that's something external. It's giving me satisfaction to do. I'm not sure, but there's no physical reward that I'm seeking. It can you I wonder if you can hear my dog snoring beside me. Oh my god, Daisy. Anyway, my dog is out cold beside me. So, ignore that. But getting back to you know, intrinsic motivation, the most successful hobbies and habits develop over this time that you are focusing on the internal factors. And then the other motivation is called controlled motivation. And people are doing something because they feel pressure or demanded to. In personal training, when you're I'm building somebody's hobby into fitness, that's going to be an aspect, but it shouldn't be the main thing. When you're building a hobby or habit, such as journaling, you shouldn't feel uh, forming a hobby shouldn't be fueled by controlled motivation if it is you take a step back and thinking is somebody recommending this for me because it would be helpful for example if a therapist recommends you journaling to help express your feelings that's technically controlled motivation at first but the goal of the therapist is to make you form an autonomous motivation to make you keep doing it because you are choosing to because you're doing it at your own free will and it's something you enjoy. You must respect the autonomy of yourself, respect your own free will, respect what you're going to do. But also, if you want to enforce discipline, you know, maybe your therapist is right in enforcing some controlled motivation. Maybe to get started on the habit or hobby, you need some controlled motivation in your life. So that is something to consider. Now, there are three factors that can support building intrinsic motivation, helping you to understand and build a deeper connection into the hobby or habit that you're trying to form and focus on the internal rewards that come with that hobby. So the first is sort of competence. You're not going to form a hobby or a habit that you don't think you can perform successfully. I'm not going to start, I don't know, what is that? Oh my god, it starts with the calisthenics. I'm not going to start calisthenics right and start going into the deep end of calisthenics because that's not something I can do right away. 
and I know I won't be successful at it. And seeing that from afar, or like rock climbing, I don't know. These are all bad examples. I don't know. Just don't form. If you don't think you will be able to do it, it's not going to help you in being motivated to do it in the future. If you go into starting the hobby with the sense of, oh, it should be challenging to an extent, but it shouldn't be challenging to the point where you think you can't do it and you have low competence levels. If you have, if you want to start a hobby and you have low competence levels, something I suggest would be starting small, building your way up. Say you wanted to start reading and okay, I'm going to read five pages this morning or whenever you want to read. And then you start building up and building up. And maybe you focus on time. You know, I'm going to read for five minutes, 10 minutes. And then you start building up that time and building up your stamina and building your endurance. And the next thing you know, you're reading 50 pages a day and you didn't think you could do that. So to build up your competence levels to ensure adherence in the hobby, try to start small always. That's my number one tip. In journaling, I would do the words of affirmation were a great sort of start small. It's something that I could do really quick in the morning and it took some mindful effort, but it wasn't strenuous. Now I can journal for an hour, right? And it my thoughts just pour out of me. That was starting small and now I have a great reward. Do I journal consistently? No. But when I do, that adherence of the hobby and the mentality toward journaling that I had formed gives me the competence and confidence in myself that allows me to perform when I'm journaling the way I want to. The next factor that supports intrinsic motivation would be autonomy. You know, we talked about this. You must feel that your behavior is self-determined and not controlled and having less pressure on the hobby or habit and doing it because you want to. That will give you more motivation, whether you realize it or not, you'll be more inclined to perform the behavior again. The last theory is relatedness. You, an, an important part of building a hobby is you must feel that you're connected to others in some way. I think that can really, this was applying to personal training and intrinsic motivation as a whole, but I think this can also apply to forming a hobby. You know, for example, when you start, when you start reading, you, I know it's a solo activity you do by yourself, but as I've been a reader basically my entire life, you're, you're within this community whether you realize it or not. You know, book talk. People are on book talk, book Instagram. You, whether or not you become immersed in a community and you feel related to others, and that gives you a confidence and a motivation, and it helps you feel more confident in yourself, and if you feel a sense of belonging, and you're going to be more inclined to keep performing that behavior. There's definitely a community of people that journal and do other hobbies. It might be some hobbies might be harder to find a community than others. Regardless, the hobby can bring you a sense of relatedness, but can help you feel more motivated to perform the behavior again over and over. I think that's super important. And some things that I didn't really think about when I'm sort of building hobbies of my own. The another aspect, you know, of the psychology behind building a hobby, finding a hobby that sticks is self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is how successful you perceive yourself in an activity. The degree, the official definition is the degree in which an individual believes they can successfully perform perform a given behavior. And it falls behind, you know, another theory called the social cognition theory. 
where people learn behaviors by cognitive, personal, behavioral factors, and environmental factors. Building self-efficacy can help you move smoothly through the stages stages of change. There are several stages of change, but before I get into those, there are sources of self-efficacy that you can look toward when you're building a hobby. The first one is past performance. Ask yourself when you're starting this hobby, have I tried this hobby before? What worked about the hobby last time? And then what didn't work? Write it down, physically write it down, or just think about it, but I think it'll be very helpful to write it down. I tried journaling in the past. It worked for a few weeks, but then I ran out of affirmations to do. Why did it fail? Because I got bored and I didn't think of anything else. Now, look toward what made it work. What helped you? What in those few weeks that you did the hobby made it successful? So in the first few weeks, I was doing it in the morning. Great. Going to try it. Want to restart that hobby? Going to do it in the morning. Pick apart what made it work if you've done this in the past. And I'd try to adapt that in a new way when formulating the hobby again. The second source of self-efficacy or that can build your confidence in believing that you can succeed in this activity is vicarious experience. Do you know somebody that performs this hobby and is doing it successfully? Do you know somebody who's built this hobby over a period of time and understands how to form uh, this hobby, how to succeed in this hobby, how to progress in this hobby or habit vicarious experience having to see somebody become successful in building this hobby and habit can give you confidence and and to an extent that you can perform and succeed at that same level if not maybe start off smaller and build up to that level regardless observation of someone who knows that they've had success in a similar program is important program similar experience is important for building your confidence sorry excuse me for building your confidence in developing your hobby or habit that's something to also consider the next source of self-efficacy would be verbal persuasion you know receiving positive feedback or encouragement from somebody who is an expert quote-unquote expert at this hobby to try and help you and build your confidence every step of the way a lot of you know the hobbies and habits are solo Maybe you want to start, I don't know, why can I only think of journaling and reading? There are definitely other hobbies, like knitting, knitting, sewing, maybe it's something musical, like my siblings have taken up guitar, which I'm super proud of them for. They're both embarking on guitar lessons and doing that. They started the hobby on their own, right? They started playing the guitar on their own, they started learning basic chords on their own, and now they both go to lessons. There, they're able to receive verbal feedback and positive feedback that, again, builds their confidence and builds their own, you know, motivation and intrinsic motivation and internal motivation to be able to progress in this hobby and say, wow, like, I can really succeed in this guitar thing. I can really do this and I'm becoming good at it and I'm progressing Sometimes when we do hobbies by ourselves, it's hard for us to see our own progression and our own change. Having somebody give you that verbal confirmation and verbal feedback could be helpful to reassure yourself that, you know, you're just going through the motions and you are making progress because a lot of the times it's hard for us to see ourselves.
The next source of self-efficacy would be, or building self-efficacy rather, would be a physiological state of appraisals. One who is starting a new hobby may experience, you know, very high emotional state of pride, maybe feel really good at first for the first few days. You're feeling confident. You're feeling like you've got this. You are motivated. You are putting in the schedule. You're putting in the work. And then you sort of fall out of it. Or in the beginning of starting a hobby, you might feel some sort of growing pains. For example, if you're just starting to get into fitness and you're trying a new sport, you might feel very sore at first. You might feel some sort of fatigue. You might feel annoyed that you can't think of more affirmations if you're journaling, you know? There are some negative aspects to starting a new hobby that I think are hard to look past and go through. So having somebody tell you or you tell yourself, you know, you need to focus on the positives. And if the negatives are outweighing the positives, rethink the hobby that or the habit that you're trying to start. Regardless, you should be able to look past the sort of growing pains, the initial fatigue, you know, if you're sore. And you should not judge yourself at all in this process. I know it could be really hard at first. When I stopped journaling, I was really hard on myself. I was thinking, God, it's so easy for these people to do it for five minutes a day, you know, the five-minute journal. Why can't I do it? Maybe that journal structure was not right for me. If you're having these second-guessing thoughts, maybe it should be a sign that you should reevaluate how you're approaching the hobby. Once I approach journaling different, now I look forward to it sometimes, and it's a great release for me. But at first, when I was trying to conform to the sort of five-minute journal affirmations type journaling, it wasn't working for me, and I was really hard on myself. And I was upset that it wasn't as easy for me as it was for other people. I was judging myself a lot when I shouldn't have been. It's a hobby. It's supposed to be something I enjoy. It's not supposed to be something that brings me pain or anxiety. It's supposed to be something that brings me relief and happiness. It makes me feel like myself. So if you're judging yourself, first of all, do not because everybody's going through it. Trust me. Everybody is going through a lot more similar things with you than more so against you or away from you. I think I've realized that a lot in the transfer process and just going through the growing pains of school and college and figuring out life. A lot of people are going through the same things as me and sometimes I feel a lot alone. But after the two trips and talking to a lot of different people that I've met along the way, I've realized that, you know, I'm not going through this whole thing alone and there are a ton of people that are going through the same growing pains as me. And the same applies to hobbies and habits. A lot of people, when they're first forming these, they don't they don't know how to cycle on a bike the first time they get on. The first time I went to Soul Cycle, I was like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to lift up my arms when I was trying to bounce on this bike. I needed my hands on the handlebar. I was like, please, God, no. And then the first time I did Pilates, I also looked ridiculous. I almost fell off the reformer. The first time I got into running, I had to stop and walk every mile because I had to catch my breath. You know, it looks rough at first. The first time when I get back into reading, if I fall out of it, I can't go longer than a few 10-minute cycles without having to, you know, I get anxious, I have to stop. There are always going to be growing pains, but it's important not to judge yourself and realize that a lot of other people building these hobbies are going through the exact same struggles as you. And that goes back to, again, the relatedness of it. Finding that community of people. Oh my god, my dog is snoring so fucking loud. Brushy's dreaming. Oh my god. But anyways, it goes back to 
finding that community of people that can help support you and help bring you back on track. That's very important. And that's where the sense of community can also help you. Next would be an emotional state and mood appraisals. A negative mood associated with the hobby can lower participation and discourage you from, you know, trying it again. If the hobby is associated with a negative emotion or feeling, you're not going to want to adhere to it. The adherence levels are going to be way lower. You're going to feel less confident. Your competence levels are going to go much lower. And you're not going to build good self-efficacy. You're not going to build good self-confidence and belief in yourself that you can continue and progress in this hobby or habit. Think about the positives and maybe maybe write down the positives. You know, after reading, for example, if you want to get into reading, write down how you felt after you read. That way, you can always associate it with that positive emotion instead of maybe focusing on, oh, wow, reading made me want to fall asleep because I know that's common and I read before I go to sleep. So sometimes when I read during the day, I feel really sleepy and I want to sort of just pass out. But that's because when I'm reading, it sort of takes my mind off go mode and I feel so relaxed that it's time for bed. <laughs> so when you're building a new hobby to focus on the positives, maybe write down how it made you feel right after and then refer back to it if you start to feel a negative association. That way you can start of progress that positive association of the hobby and it'll build more adherence and make you want to stick to it more. The last source of self-efficacy is imaginary experiences. Imagine experiences of successful of ex- successful exchanges and successful performance in a hobby can help you understand and perceive what the hobby can do for you in the future. This could come from imagining and living stories of sort of the vicarious experience, you know, looking at somebody else who's successfully built the hobby, the hobby sticking, the hobby, the hobby, looking to see how somebody else who's made the hobby work, what they've done in the past, how they've succeeded, and then to sort of, there's a lot of power in envisioning yourself developing something in the future you know manifesting manifesting has been thrown around more than i've ever heard it in the last year oh i manifested this oh i manifested that do i do i think it works i think setting a goal and imagining yourself succeeding and then taking and the proper steps to reach that goal and then it happening yeah i think that's possible do i think if i roll a magic eight ball and say give me a boyfriend and then I met my boyfriend the next day like yeah sure I probably would say yeah I manifested that shit but I don't know if it actually works I think it's a lot of stuff up to chance but I think there's a lot of power in envisioning yourself succeeding at something and because once you can see the finish line and envision yourself every step of the way of your plan I think there's a lot of power in that for example I don't I don't know if this has a lot of I don't know maybe it does maybe it is relevant my friend and I are summer bucket list right we have a summer bucket list I've been crossing off and we have successfully crossed off a lot of the list this is because while we were making the list we sort of envisioned how we were going to get to each item every step of the way that has allowed us to succeed in almost having the list complete by I don't know July it's not maybe halfway i'd say halfway complete regardless that has helped us succeed in building the list and checking off the list there's a lot of power in envisioning yourself every step of the way because every step of the way is just as important as the end goal 
you can vision yourself opening your journal every morning. You can vision yourself, you know, building that habit. Maybe that wasn't the best example. I don't know. Regardless, imagining yourself succeeding in the hobby and the habit. Imagine yourself in the future. I think there's a lot of power in that. Now I'm going to go into sort of the stages of change. What happens when you're trying to change a behavior? Once you build some good self-efficacy, you have some intrinsic motivation, you're like, you have some confidence, you're like, okay, I'm ready, I can do this. There are, I think it's five stages of change that you go through when you're building your new hobby or habit. The first is decisional balance. A lot of people get stuck in this stage of decisional balance. That's when you're sort of weighing out the pros and cons. You're like, oh, I don't know. Like, is this good for me? Should I start it? Will it impact my morning routine? Will it cause me to have less time during the day? Is it a waste of time? Stuff like that. A lot of people get stuck in the decisional balance when they're first starting a hobby after the first time they do it. After the first time you can start the hobby, maybe you build it. A lot of hobbies I've been seeing are built into morning routines. You can do a hobby at any time of the day, just here to remind you that. If you want to read at 2 p.m., it doesn't have to be 6 a.m., just read. It could be any time of the day you want to build a hobby. And after they do it for the first time, you can realize some pros and cons that maybe you didn't understand before. Then a lot of people get stuck in this decision of, oh my gosh, is this right for me? I don't know. Stuck in the decisional balance phase. I'd say focusing on building your self-efficacy and building your confidence and motivation in wanting to form that hobby or habit, I think that's how you can best get out of decisional balance is to focus on what I just talked about and understand why you want to change and the positive association with the change to help you. The pros should weigh out the cons and if they don't, I don't suggest moving forward with that hobby or habit. Next is pre-contemplation. This is when you've decided to make the change, right? But then you're unsure about how to go about it. You know, there's no clear step. You're not taking any action yet. You're just, you've made, you simply made the decision that you want to start the hobby. Next is contemplation. This is more so when you don't have a plan of action. You're not really unsure how to start the hobby or habit. You're just stuck in that okay i want to do it but how then there's preparation this is when you sort of go about finding the correct steps and finding the correct successful methods to become more skilled and progress in your hobby the last two steps are action which is when you finally start to pick up and put that pen to paper and perform the hobby and then maintenance Maintenance is a stage where you have been succeeding at this hobby for at least six months and you are consistent with it. Maybe it's not every day. You know, hobbies also don't have to be every day. I don't understand that either. You know, journaling's a hobby, but I don't do it every day. I do it like maybe once a week, once every two weeks. It really depends on what's going on. But regardless, a hobby does not have to be or a habit. They don't I'm using them interchangeably and I understand that hobbies and habits are different. Regardless, it doesn't have to be something you do every day. If you want to start reading, right, you don't have to read every day. You can read every two days. You can read as often as you want. But there is a sort of sense of accountability that you might want to hold yourself to if you really want the hobby to stick. That's sort of past the maintenance phase. And those are the stages of change that I don't think 
we realize we're going through when we're starting a hobby. We skip the decisional balance and we go right to action. We just simply take action. We're just start the hobby when we're really not properly preparing ourselves to succeed. So it's easy to fall back. And this is the last thing I want to talk about when starting a hobby. Something that the personal training guide emphasized was that you need to prepare your client for a relapse. A relapse is sort of when they stop working out, they get off program, etc. The reason I think a lot of us have trouble sticking to habits is because we don't plan to fail. Nobody wants to plan to fail. Nobody wants to plan for them to get off the program and stop journaling or stop doing the hobby, right? But it's important to have a plan in place for when that does happen. You're going to realize that, oh, I haven't picked up my pen and I, my journal is, I don't know where. You're going to realize that you've fallen off the wagon at some point. And it's really important to prepare yourself and not feel guilty that you stopped, but more so, okay, I, you know, I didn't do it. I had a sort of bit of a lapse where I went back to old habits. Now I'm going to look toward that plan that I have in my notes app on my phone of what I'm going to do when that happens. You know, maybe it's going back to thinking about what I did wrong. Going back to the past performance source of self-efficacy. Think about what you did when you started, what was successful, what was unsuccessful, and maybe rework into new plan and or maybe if you just fell out of the hobby because you didn't have time, get back to whatever plan worked. It's important to acknowledge the lapse without judgment and more so with compassion with yourself. So, you know, that's all I have for today. I hope that learning about the psychology behind change and habit formation will help you in the future find a hobby or habit that sticks with you. And if not, I just hope this podcast is interesting all in general. I am apologizing right now for my lack of presence. You know, again, I was going through some stuff and I'm really just trying to enjoy summer and get myself in a good mental health headspace before tomorrow. And there will be no episode next week due to, I don't really know how delusional I'm going to be if I'm going to be on pain meds. I know I'm going to be on pain meds, but I don't know if I'll be able to produce any sort of content. But I'll definitely be trying to be active on Instagram as much as I can. Go follow the Twitter. It's live now. And again, look forward to the podcast website release July 15th. I announced it on Instagram. And if you don't follow Instagram, please do. It's at everything all at once pod. Share it with your friends. You know, have them take a listen. If not, you know. That's all I got for today, and I will see you in about a week, two weeks. Yeah, I'll see you in about two weeks, hopefully when I'm all healed and am ready to take on the world again. As always, please have some compassion with yourself, stay safe, and yeah, I'll see you in two weeks.